very hard on, on fitness and um, and the running game. That's what kind of led me to, to want this dream of being a, a racing driver. There's no point in time and except standards of excellence. We will deal with the Talton Cup if we're in it and we'll, we'll certainly give it every bit of respect. There's no feeling that beats playing for Ireland. My God, I'm going to do everything that is possible to bring us there. This is Sports Beat Extra. On this week's show, we'll hear from FAI CEO Jonathan Hill on Ireland's historic bid for Euro 2028. And I'm speaking with the Kilkenny Athletic superstar who can call himself a world champion. But first, we pay tribute to the life of a remarkable sporting individual. I'm Sean Connolly, and you're very welcome to Sports Beat Extra. Five counties, one big sports show. Sports Beat Extra. Following Thursday's devastating news about the tragic death of Waterford rallying star Craig Breen, I'm joined now by John Kenny, a man who was privileged to know Craig very well. John, I know it's hard to put into words, but what was your immediate reaction to Thursday's confirmation? Uh, well, what a shock. I mean, we've lost a lot of uh, good young drivers over the years um, through various different accidents. Uh, you can go back to the Dunlops, obviously, racing bikes. Uh, Robert and Joey uh, you can point back to Neil Shanahan 1999 racing Formula Ford in Oldham Park we thought he was going to be the next Senna and now Craig is obviously the top of his game in the World Rally Championship so there's someone who is that close to winning his first World Championship race and uh, you know maybe down the line getting his dream of becoming the world champion. Maybe there's been some way off, but um, we'll never know now whether he'll get his first win, of course, or whether he would have become world champion after what's been a stellar career for him, two-time junior world champion, but now sadly no longer with us. He was hunting for that, that first win, following the second place in Sweden. Ironically, there was actually great hopes of that happening in Croatia, wasn't there? Yeah, the surface he liked, it's asphalt. Um, and you know he's won the Irish Championship on asphalt back in 2019 blitzed everybody the rest of the field but obviously being the pro driver that was expected but uh, yeah testing in Croatia that's what you do you know you head out with the team and they'll get a stage similar to what they're going to be running over asphalt stage and just test the car test the brakes all that kind of stuff but obviously sadly something went tragically wrong with the car crashing and uh, sadly Craig has lost his life uh, my Hark goes out to James Fulton, of course, as well. He's been sitting beside him, taking over from Paul Nagel as the co-driver. And uh, Paul, obviously, a very good friend of his, and Chris Meek, who's uh, previously retired from the World Rally Championship. But I'd say Paul must be absolutely devastated. So let's say uh, just a moment there to think about poor old Paul. He must be in a, in a pretty bad way, I'd say. Absolutely, today. I would agree. I suppose with Craig, he, he was a man that was beloved in the community. He was always happy to engage with fans, with colleagues, what what were your experiences of this on the ground and, and of him on a daily basis? Well, uh, he very much held his cards close to his chest uh, in terms of doing interviews. It was actually when he turned off the microphone, he was more gregarious and whatever. But, uh, you know, he was racing for one of the top teams in Hyundai, obviously one of the two manufacturers in the World Rally Championship. So a lot of the times I felt he was uh, towing the company line at times. He wouldn't let much out. But that's just the, the way nature of the man. But uh, outside of that, you know, obviously, yeah, very welcoming. Anytime we were in around uh, the motorhome, there was tea, coffee, biscuits, whatever passed out to, to everybody that was all on sundry there. And there's a respectful distance as well between the spectators and Craig and the mechanics as they got on with whatever work they were doing at the car and stages and stage of service. So, yeah, it was a good place to be. It was a fun place to be. And uh, most people gravitated towards where Craig 
and Paul Nagel were, and you saw that at the stages as well, the Killarney Historic Stages Rally uh, last December. The crowds were huge out in the stages and massive up in Mallscraft. They were there just to see one driver, and that was Craig Brain. A lot of that really stemmed from the passion and the enthusiasm that he had. He was always front and centre, even despite so many setbacks in his career. I feel it was truly inspirational for everybody looking on, and he really showed tremendous grit in overcoming many ups and downs in his career, didn't he? He did, yeah. Uh, you know, because there's so few drives in the World Rally Championship that that's going to happen, and manufacturers are not really attracted to the championship anymore. You've only got two manufacturers and a semi-works team in, in M Sport, and he did have a run at M Sport, and that didn't work out. Good start to the season. Monte Carlo didn't go on after that. Um when he lost his drive at Citroen, he went to the Irish Championship, and he's done a lot of other stuff like the Italian Championships and European Rally Championship rounds and things like that as well over the years. So he truly was, in my eyes, a fan or an anorak of motorsport that then worked his way to the top. Um, great story about him after COVID. Could, the flights weren't working, operating properly at that stage, as you remember, and uh, to get to the Targa rally, uh, no, to get to the San Remo rally, sorry, he uh, hitched a lift on his uncle's uh, articulated truck and drove all the way from Waterford down to Italy just to get Amazing. involved in that. So uh, that was dedication for you. He was a man who wanted to win World Championship rounds. Didn't happen, sadly, just so those uh, braces or three or four second place finishes, including uh, Sweden, and his obviously the ultimate goal to be the world champion. But neither now, sadly, will happen. He's really set a benchmark, I suppose, for the future of the sport in the country. Would you envisage many people using his his story, his career, his determination as a goal in their own career paths? Maybe you know it's you know it's just people got their own ideas about how their path should go in life. Um, you know, Joe Strummer, the Clash, always said that the future's unwritten. Who thought we'd be sitting here talking about the death of Greg Green uh, coming up to Croatia now? Um, he did his own thing. Mandela, uh, sorry, uh, Motorsport Ireland subsequently, because of the success of Craig Breen, and he wasn't involved in it, has set up a Motorsport Academy. So you've got guys and girls uh, coming through that one as well, and hopefully they'll come through and uh, take Craig Breen's place. But he's irreplaceable, I thought. He was the vanguard. He was like your elder brother or sister. He's the one who took the trench for the rest of the family. So um, we can hope, yeah, sure, if his, if his legacy is anything, that we bring through young racing drive, rally drivers through to the World Rally Championship and also the as co-drivers and maybe one or two females through. Well, then, yeah, it'll have all been worth it. That's a fitting way to end this. Thanks ever so much for your time, John. I really appreciate it today. No problem. Anytime. Five counties, one big sports show. Sports Beat Extra. This week marked another historic chapter in Irish football as the FAI joined forces with the UK to submit its final bid to host Euro 2028. The bid, which was submitted on Wednesday, offers a unique five-association partnership with the proposal of 10 Stadia. The bid is aiming to deliver a record-breaking tournament with more tickets than ever before. The hopes of growing a more diverse and inclusive game in the region stand front and centre, and the bid is including a stadium from Dublin, Belfast, Cardiff, Glasgow and six from England. The average stadium capacity is set to be that of 58,000 people. The vision of football for all, football for good, football for the future is championed by FAI CEO Jonathan Hill and courtesy of FAI TV, I had the opportunity to hear directly from Jonathan 
and he's welcomed what is a red letter day for Ireland and for Irish football. I think it's a really important day for the association and certainly for the whole of Irish football um, as we've submitted our final and our formal bid um, into UEFA to co-host Euro 2028 uh, with our fellow associations of Northern Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales. Um, we think we've put together a really competitive and really compelling case, um, remembering of course um, that we are in a competitive situation alongside um, Turkey. Um, but I'd like to thank everybody involved in putting together what is, as I say, a really excellent bid. Ireland played out an extremely entertaining tie with World Cup finalist France at the Aviva in March, igniting hopes in the nation for a successful qualifying campaign. Now, the prospect of qualification is a very real possibility, as well as the prospect of a tie in Dublin during the finals. This significance of this is something that excites Jonathan and everybody involved within the FAI. Well, look, of course, it would be, um, it would be fantastic if Ireland were to play uh, the open, our opening game of a Euro 2028 in the Aviva Stadium itself. Um, as you say, we saw how fantastic the support was and the atmosphere was in the game against France recently. And to replicate that in a major finals tournament of the third largest event in the world, uh, would be something extraordinarily special for everyone. Look, there's no absolute guarantee of that. We know that there are two um, spots available um, in relation to qualification, um, but that's all part of the bid process uh, that we discuss with um, UEFA as they review our bid over the coming months. A successful bid is one that is part of an overall strategic vision for the growth of Irish football. The facilities are available and the FAI are keen to welcome Europe and the world to Irish shores for this and for future footballing events. Well, we outlined as one of our key objectives in our 2022 to 2025 um, strategic vision for the association, um, a desire not just to uh, host international events, um, but also to qualify for and to take part in them. So uh, obviously a successful bid um, would help us uh, on that basis from a sporting perspective. Uh, look, we already have um, the UEFA Europa League final coming to Dublin um, in May 2024. So we know that we can host this type of uh, international event. So this would just give more credence to that, um, to the delivery of that strategic objective. And along with the Irish government, um, we've already calculated um, a boost to the Irish economy of over 240 million euros, which is obviously um, significant and a reflection of the investment that the government have agreed to make to help our um, overall bid. Um, we're also looking at a legacy plan uh, for the whole of Irish grassroots football on the back of a successful bid. And I think finally, and perhaps um, really importantly for us in relation to another one of our key strategic goals, which is to develop the facility infrastructure within Ireland, this gives a real impetus to those discussions, both with government and with other stakeholders within the game. As you just heard, Jonathan mentioned the support of government being key in the submission of this bid. As well as that, he was very quick to point out the efforts supplied by Dublin City Council and the hard-working staff involved every single day at the FAI. And I'd like to thank um, each and every one of those, including our own team here, led by David Carell and Aidan O'Brien, but um, particularly uh, our colleagues uh, within government, from the very top in relation to uh, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar and Tarnister, um, Michal Martin, uh, through to uh, government ministers Martin and Byrne, who within the department have been so helpful in relation to formalising the final bid. Um, obviously, we couldn't do any of this without the help of 
um, Dublin City Council, um, who already knew a lot of how to do what we want to do via um, our bid for Euro 2020, and of course, and finally, um, our colleagues in the Aviva Stadium. So um, there have been so many people involved in getting us to this point. We've worked really closely with the central bid team and the other four associations, and I think we're in a really good, strong place uh, to talk to UEFA now about why we are the right choice for them for Euro 2028. Sports Beat Extra. Beat 102-103. It is not very often that we get an opportunity to welcome a world champion on a Saturday evening, but today is just that day. As well as completing his duties as a lecturer at Southeast Technological University, Kilkenny man Owen Everard has recently achieved the feat of winning gold for Ireland at the World Championships in Poland. Owen, absolutely fantastic to speak with you. How are you today? Sean, thanks so much for having me on. You're very welcome, very welcome. Now, obviously, firstly, congratulations, a monumental achievement and one that has etched your name into the history books. Almost two weeks since achieving gold in Poland, has it finally set in? Yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's brilliant. Um, all the support and uh, well-wishers afterwards has been great, you know. So, um, yeah, absolutely delighted with it. Of course. Now, before we dive into that historic race, I want to touch upon some of the defining moments that led you to Poland. So, to begin, what sparked your love for long-distance running? Um, well, I've been running nearly all my life. Uh, my mum brought me down to an under-12 Kilkenny City Harriers race, and I had missed that. So, uh, my mum, unperturbed, put me into the under-13s girls race, which was the next race on. So, uh, I won that. So, um, my brother always liked me that my first, first win was... Uh, a girls race but um, yeah since then I was running and not, not that competitively and then about 16 um, I started training with uh, Billy Bolster in the school and then uh, Robert Norwood in KCH and uh, I would have done 800s and 1500s then like throughout my 20s and I was lucky enough to win a few national goals and break the four minute mile for the 1500 but as you get a bit older you you start to start losing a bit of your speed, and um, I wanted to break 14 minutes for 5k and 30 minutes for 10k. So as I got a bit older, it was more um, just you know resetting new goals, and I was lucky enough to you know run 13:58 and 29:50 for for those events, and that kind of has set me up for kind of doing better over a couple of kind of those you know middle to longer distance races. Absolutely. And you made mention to the club. And I just want to know, how important in your career progression has the local Kilkenny City Harriers Club been to you? Oh, absolutely massive. Especially, well, underage, uh, they have great support, you know, like Sean Lynch, May Barn. Um, there's a lot of really good people that help in, in, in Kilkenny City Harriers. John May is there at the moment, Nicholas Dunphy. And then just more close to home. I have a great group that I run with, Brian Meyer, James Lenningham and um, Thomas Hayes. So the fact that they're still running at a very good level, it just keeps you kind of in the sport. You know, it's, we kind of joke it's nearly like our coffee morning going out for a run. Um, we also have Jamie Gann who's just joined the group. So the fact that I have people, you know, roughly my same age at a good level training um, makes it such a, such a big difference. And anybody out there, I really recommend trying to train with someone. We always say like a run shared as a run half. Well, I wish I had that myself because I am an avid runner 
and I would try to run three, four, or five times a week. And it's generally by myself. I have not, yeah. I haven't been able to encourage anybody to uh, come out in the cold, wet evenings with me. But I'm working toward it every no, well, day. It does make a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, and it is worth like if you, if there is at all, even there's a local club, Sean. Like you know, maybe even joining that, even if you don't want to do the sessions, you know, being part of a WhatsApp group, WhatsApp group, and you'd be surprised if you just put it out there into those type of groups. We have a like a KCH WhatsApp group. You know, I'm running that. Six o'clock in the evening, if it suits anyone, because an easy run, especially, you can do that at any pace. So it wouldn't even matter if the person's a lot better or a lot worse than you. Um, and it just breaks up that training nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And I may have opened a can of worms in the region here, so I should have stayed quiet. But <laughs> <laughs> moving on, and it was something you touched upon in June of twenty-one, becoming the first Kilkenny man to run the four-minute mile. What were your memories of that day? Both, both were kind of similar. That they were like big. Um, it's funny, both were very similar in terms of they were a big goal for the whole year. So it's like, you know, um, it's something that you're kind of picturing the whole time. And with both of them, I had ran four minutes dead and I had ran 14.00.1. So I got very close the years before, the year before both times. So it gives the encouragement that you can do it, but it's also like, you're, it's, it's disappointing because you're like, I wonder will I get that chance again? But um, luckily on both occasions, um, you know, it was it was such such a great achievement because a lot of times in running, even if you you run a good time, you're always thinking, God, I could have maybe run a bit quicker, or there's another race where they're very like definitive goals to break. So it was um, both times I was absolutely buzzing after running those. Yeah, because again, it's something that like every runner will know. It won't even it doesn't even matter the standard. It's like there's something brilliant about setting a goal training really hard for it and then, then achieving it. It's, it's like one of the best feelings out there. I suppose it's fair to say that you were always a distinguished athlete at national senior level and then obviously transitioned into the Masters category. When you won the Euros in Portugal in 22, the prospect of a world title must have been really growing within you, was it? Yeah, exactly. That was my first kind of soiree into the Masters and um, I was just really happy. With, I was really happy, obviously, to win it, and I just the standard was really good. The organisation from like you know the Irish Masters Athletics was excellent. There's a great community over there. You know, everyone on the WhatsApp encouraging each other and good team management. So um, I had such a positive experience in in Portugal with the whole event that I was like then looking forward to doing the the World Masters. I saw they were in Poland the following year and. Um, yeah, it was a little bit stiffer. The guy who came second in the world is from from America. He was a really good collegiate athlete. You know, he'd be roughly the exact same age as me and um, would have had a very similar career, you know, like kind of a sub-four-minute miler, had been very fat, like a 147, 800-meter runner, um, and then had moved up as he got older. So I knew going into that race, it was going to be um, a tough one bringing us to present day officially the the world masters athletics indoors 3000 meter champion do you have memories of the race or is it a blur no like as i said i knew looking at the start lines usually on these type of races um i will be lads kind of similar levels to me but i'd always think well at least i because i came from that shorter backgrounds of 800s in the mile it's like if it gets to the end and it's been slow i'll be able to win so you know it's um the kind of comfort where this one was before it, I really didn't know how it was going to go because that, especially that American, I knew he was going to be the big threat, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't know if I'd be able to out kick him. Like you know, 
usually if I wait to the end in sprints, I'm I'm usually going to win that type of race. So usually it's like people have to try tire me out earlier on in the race. Um, so it was kind of that little bit of nervousness about that and really not knowing if I was going to be good enough to to win it. So the race was very uh, slow initially. We were kind of just watching each other. There was an Italian guy who's ran kind of like fourteen ten for five k, leading leading it out, but not really like hitting a pace that we were going to really struggle with. And then um, at the end, I just put the absolute boot down with about two hundred and fifty meters to go, and we ran twenty six seconds for two hundred meters, which I haven't done for for a lot a long number of years. Um, so like I was delighted, I was just able to hold them off and. It, kind of makes it sweeter then when the competition is so strong uh, to win it. So I was absolutely delighted, yeah. You made mention was not knowing about how you were going to respond and almost how pace setters were fitting into your set criteria and your capabilities. Was it a, a mixture of preparation and everything falling right on the day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you, you have to practice. Like my coach, Emmett Dunleavy, is brilliant that way. We've kind of adapted the training. So you still need to, as you get older, you still need to be careful with the type of training you, you do you can't do all the speed work that you would have done before but just keeping some way in touch with it you know even like 90% like I hadn't ran a 26 seconds in, in training I say the fastest I had done is maybe like a 29 second um, 200 but you're close enough to it that when the adrenaline is going when the race is there and I would have done so many of those when I was younger that you're still able to tap into it thank God is it difficult to maintain a work-life balance with training and preparation for these races? Uh, yeah, you just got to be a little bit more organised. Like, um, I get up early. I like trade, you know, especially as getting it um, brighter in the mornings is great. But, you know, just get down. Um, SETU Waterford has some brilliant facilities. So, like, the fact you can kind of get there early, do your run, even down the, um, down the, uh, the Greenway and come back and maybe shower in the arena or you can shower in the main campus and be ready for college and my head of department uh, Michael Harrison is is really supportive like you know this race was on a Sunday so I had to um, fly home and miss miss work on, on the Monday but there's you know absolutely no problems with that he just wished me best of luck and um, that really helps and I think the fact that we have lecturing staff that have a lot of experience either from a coaching standpoint or from competing it kind of helps you know when we're teaching kind of these sports courses to to students we can kind of give practical experience as well as the theory and what advice would you have for any budding athlete be they young or old that might be hoping to follow in your footsteps in some way shape or form if you're older you've got to change your training like i used to do like three hard training sessions a week um you know maybe not take a rest day now i do two kind of hard ones on a Wednesday and a Saturday and then I always have a rest day on a Friday. I've also do like sports Pilates um, on a Monday because you need something to help restore your body. So I find, I find a lot of athletes can get themselves into trouble in their 30s and their 40s or their 50s trying to train like they did say, you know, 10 or 15 years prior to that. Okay. Um, when you're younger then I think it's important just to have like a good structure, get a good coach um, and really make sure that you're not overly like sometimes runners can be either doing like too much volume and then not enough kind of speed work or too much speed work and not enough volume so you want to be topping up all the buckets it's most, it's really important to be 
well-rounded as an athlete. So don't overly focus on one particular type of training. As I said, in that race where I ran 26 seconds, I had done a lot more like distance work. It's not a fact that I have to do a lot of speed work to still have that speed. I just need to kind of keep in touch with that. It was an absolute pleasure chatting, getting an insight into everything from preparations to trainings to, to what it was like on that day. I look forward to seeing what happens next. And once again, a massive congratulations. Sean, thanks so much. It's like um, it's a great honour to get on to you know, Beat 102. And um, you're always great to highlight to the region the different sporting achievements in, in all different sports. And it, it's much appreciated. So thanks so much. Five counties, one big sports show. Sports Beat Extra. That is everything for today. And as always, the entire show will be available for a podcast from wherever you get your podcasts. Keep your messages coming through our socials and your emails coming to sport at beat102103.com. I do love chatting with you all. Beat Anthems is only a couple of minutes away, right after this message to all of the clubs in the region. Club Focus with Eco Solar Energy. The solar experts you can rely on. Make the cleaner choice. EcoSolarEnergy.ie. We are approaching the finishing line with Beats Club Focus, and there is still time to get your club involved. Each month, I'm jumping in the car and I'm paying a visit to a club in the region. That lucky club will take their place in the limelight and get to feature on air, online, and across all of our socials. At the end of the 12 months, one of the clubs will bag themselves an amazing €1,000 bursary. And that winning club will be chosen through a public vote, which supplies a great opportunity to attract some new members. Club Focus is part of Beat's ongoing commitment to champion the work that local clubs do, while also celebrating and supporting the positive impact that you all have in your local communities. So, if you haven't already done so, now is the time. Get your club involved today by heading to beat102103.com forward slash club focus to apply in seconds. And we might be chatting sooner than you think. Club Focus with Eco Solar Energy. The solar experts you can rely on. Make the cleaner choice. EcoSolarEnergy.ie